As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by my best friend in the whole wide world, Ari Wasserman. Ari, the college football season is officially over. Are you sad about it? I am. I am. Yeah, me too. I, me too. I, I always get that feeling, and I think some people get that feeling around Thanksgiving. Um, but I love watching the national championship game because there's no better game, stakes-wise. Um it's all lit up. The field looks nice. Everyone's watching. The entire country's like watching together. Like that's that's always a fun experience. But I always get sad that day too because just like now, what the hell are we gonna do for eight months? It's like I guess we'll talk about recruiting, which doesn't really matter, and then we'll just like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really very much so love watching sports. I like watching the NBA playoffs. I like watching Major League Baseball. Uh, I love the NFL. Obviously, that Chargers game the other night was incredible. Anybody who watched it knows. But college football is just different. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it exponentially more than every other sport that there is. And I think that there's a certain corner of uh, of sports fanhood for the sickos like us who are listening to this. And, you know, just it's just a different feel to it. And I just love it. And... Um, I thought that the national championship game was a nice illustration of what elite level teams look like for the most part. I'm sure at the end of the podcast we'll get into the idea that a walk-on won the national championship, <laughs> which I think strengthens my stars discussion because, let's be honest, he's not 
he didn't will the team to win like Georgia's defense rock shit for four quarters. And, uh, you know, Ohio State had a ton of news. So I think it'll be a good show. I'm going to try my best to be super positive this time to kind of even out the scales from last time. Uh, I heard from four or five people who said that I was a downer on the last show, so I apologize. Um, but, like, thousands of people listened to it and no one said anything. So maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. there's still hope. Um <laughs> I have to remind myself of that sometimes. It's like, man, these six people are really pissed off at us. Oh, five thousand people, people listen. Ten thousand, five thousand people listen to the episode. <laughs> but we want to take every opinion into account, and I do think you know. I think everyone's as valid. And you know, did I, I, think did it's I always, say anything on the podcast, Bill, about that guy that got mad at me about complaining for three minutes or three seconds about my computer being late? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that guy too. That was that was valid. Like some things we don't need to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I'm not going to listen to a podcast when the whole thing is about computer being late and shipping issues. I, I want to talk about football. It's like, do we not talk about football on this podcast? I think Welcome 85% of the time, right? I think that's a good 80, 85, 15. Everyone knows where the number one podcast for Ohio State football takes and supply chain issues. So like, yes. I don't know what people expect from us. Yes. Um, I am also sad that the college football season is over, but you asked the question, what are we going to talk about? Well, there's been a lot happening yes. um, since since the last time we did an episode. We're, we're back to, to once a week now, and in the time since we did our last show, which was mostly recapping the Rose Bowl, uh, Ohio State you know, fired its offensive line coach and hired a new one, gave Brian Hartline a new title, and soon to be a lot more money. Uh, they picked up a transfer from Oklahoma State. They added two more commitments in the class of 2022, and... I guess like way down the scale, like Master Teague <laughs> declared for the NFL draft, which I think was surprising. I don't think it's particularly impactful on Ohio State, but it was a bit surprising, I think, to see him go to go off to the NFL or try to go off to the NFL. Would you um, have I'll, been less surprised to see a portal? I, yeah, yeah. So you think jumping to the league is is shocking? Yeah, I thought he would have probably gone, tried to maybe go somewhere where he could be showcased a little more. Not this, like, listen, he is, he's a big, fast, physical dude. I think he, he a guy like that always has a, has a chance in the NFL, and I think he's pretty smart, too. Like, even if it's like a special teamer, like, he's, I think he'll make money playing football. Um, yeah, I was going to say, Bill, sometimes people leave Ohio State and you're like, what are you doing, dude? And then they turn out to be like awesome. You don't know what Brown is still in the league. Yeah, playing. You know, Rod sure. Smith was in the league. Rod Smith for a was few in the league years. for a few years. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, what, that's, that's what I thought of when I thought of Master Team. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not. It's but not so, like what are you doing? You're never going to be a pro. It's just like, oh, I thought maybe you try to go somewhere and be a starter for a year before you did that. But yeah, but he is like the nicest human being on the face of the earth, and like I internally root for him, mm-hmm. like because I actually think that he's like legit a real awesome guy, like like to his core, like a good human. So like for people like that, like I always root for, and I would not be shocked to see him catch on somewhere. Yeah, and he also was, I think, more or less what you expected him to be, right? He was, I think, ranked in the – he was like a mid-tier four-star recruit, I think. He And he was a really good backup running back here, I thought, and, and stepped up a couple times. He had a really nice season in 2019 as a backup, and um, I don't think anyone really ever expected him to be the number one tailback, and he wasn't, but I don't think he was a bad player here either. Well, I, I, so. think, people, I think people judge him based on some performances that he was thrust into that weren't supposed to be his moment. Fiesta Bowl against Clemson. Yeah. And, National t- Championship against Alabama. Yeah. yeah. And were, people were probably upset that he didn't change the game, but like also that's not his fault because he was put in those positions unexpectedly. So, but like he's fast as hell. I don't think people realize like his straight line speed, how fast he is. Very he's fast. He's built like yeah. a, can I, he's built like a Greek god. Um, yeah. Were you going to say he's built like a brick shit house? 
Yeah, I just didn't like know if that was inappropriate, yeah. and I don't want to get fired. So, like, we're I uh, got pretty passionate on the Stars Matter uh, episode from last week, and I have to kind of... I, I heard. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was right, and nothing bad happened, but I felt bad after it, so I'm going to try to reel it back in. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. When you heard it, were um, you, like, shocked? Uh, No. No, well, you I know, know me. No, I know, but like, were you like, I cannot believe this is on the podcast? Like, like I, I thought it was, it was a little, it was a little hot. Yeah, it was a little yeah. hot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people. This is, it's, this it's is brilliant your promotion because people don't know what we're talking about, and they're going to listen to it now. Yeah, go listen to Stars Matter. Where I also, depending I, on what side of the conversation you fall on, Ari can insult your intelligence. <laughs> hey, do you think that I'm wrong though? Uh, That's the thing. Like, there's two types of people: the people who agree with me, and then losers. <laughs> and it's like eighty-five, fifteen, probably, of people who agree with me because it's not that hot of a take. It's not a hot take. It's the, it's about the delivery. It's about the delivery and the level to which you insult people <laughs> when, you, when you deliver it a certain way. So anyway, uh, Mr. Nice Guy is going to be positive, and everybody love everybody on this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of this news that's happened is good news for Ohio State. Um, yeah, seems like things th- are lining up. I think like ag- uh, aggressive moves. I think that you'd like to see Ryan Day make, and I guess let's start with Greg Sudrawa because I, I think maybe you could you probably could make the argument that it's it's happening a little too late. I, I know I, th- I I believe that, but I also think it was hard because like. I don't think Ohio State's offensive line was bad, but I never thought it was quite as good as it could be. And, like, the recruiting wasn't awful, but it certainly wasn't as good as it could be. So, like, how do you kind of balance that out? I, I don't know. I, but Ryan Day, you know, makes the decision to not renew Greg's to draw his contract, which was up at the end of this month. And they bring in Justin Fry from UCLA, who was the offensive coordinator there, but Chip Kelly called the plays, was the offensive line coach for the last four years. Worked with Ryan Day at Boston College. And Temple uh, was a former GA at Florida under Urban Meyer, uh, I think a year or two, maybe after Ryan Day had a similar job. Um, I guess, Ari, what do, you, what do you make of just like the the surface level making a move here, at offensive line coach and moving on from Greg Sudrow? Can I ask you a question? Because we've talked yeah. a lot about the recruiting aspect of it. Mm-hmm. He's gotten five-star prospects, but a lot of those five-star prospects are regional. Also got a few five-star prospects that were national, but also left something to be desired. Everybody knows how we feel about the the recruiting position. Mm-hmm. Did he get fired because of the lack of offensive line play on the field, or do you think it was the recruiting issues, or do you think it was a combination of both? I think the recruiting shortcomings were overlooked because the line has like more or less been good enough since he's been here, and then. This year, the recruiting issues, I think, persisted, and also they just got like knocked around and weren't very good in the biggest games that they had to play this year. And couldn't run the ball in short yardage, had like bad penalties that start that stalled drives. Like this was this was, I think, the worst combination under Sudrawa of of line play and recruiting. And it's not to say again that the line was bad because it wasn't bad. Like all, if you whatever numbers you want to pull to tell you how good an offensive line is, like they're going to look good for Ohio State. I would implore you to like use a little more critical thinking than that and like remember how the line played in the biggest games what some of those statistical games look like and then just like the general sort of what i consider like disjointedness of the whole thing with playing four tackles rotating in matthew jones a lot of procedural penalties um i just think all of it wasn't very good so i don't i don't think it was one thing but i think it was that the the play 
particularly in the biggest games when combined with the recruiting shortcomings that have been going on, I think, for a few years now, I, I think kind of. Because this Ryan line should no have choice. been tremendous, though, right, Bill? It was supposed to be a tremendous line. We I were thought calling it, actually, it the best yeah. offensive line in the country before the season started, and I don't think it was anywhere close to that. It was not. Um, and I think when when I had that kind of in mind, I think it was before the stuff with Dewan Jones moving or playing tackle and Thayer Munford moving inside. It was like, well, if their line is Harry Miller at center and you know Matthew Jones probably starting at guard. You start Paris Johnson at guard. You have Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit-Frere at tackle. It's like, well, you have four five-star prospects there, and then the guy who's not a five-star prospect is Thayer Munford, who's been a very good three-year starter at left tackle. Like, you feel really good about that. Um, and even when they started shuffling things around, I, I, I probably at the time didn't didn't judge that too harshly at the beginning because I trusted just sort of the individual talents there. But clearly, the the skill sets didn't didn't mesh with what they were trying to do, and, and I think the offense suffered in part because of that. In, in some cases, particularly running the football. So, yeah, I, I just think my my general take on Greg Studrawa is that he is an above average developer of offensive linemen, and maybe you could even say like a good developer of offensive tackles because it's kind of weird i think like some of their tackles have developed quite well even though he doesn't recruit the position all that well um but but i don't really feel like the line ever truly maximized itself under him and the recruiting track record is is not strong enough that you would just ignore the fact if he was a good enough developer to make you do so so um it makes sense to me like i thought the, i think the first question i asked ryan day in his first press conference his head coach is like why did you keep greg Stadrawa? um mm-hmm. and this is like we're f- what are we three years down the road now, and he's finally made a move. Like I think he could have made this move in 2019, and maybe maybe should have. Because you want to see your offensive line coach in the mix for. It's like funny because as we were watching the national championship game on Monday night, like J.C. Latham was playing. I think he started the game. He definitely mixed in at one point because someone yeah, got hurt. Yeah, well, he, somebody got hurt in the Cincinnati game. Okay. And he came into that game, and I don't know how much he was playing in that game, but it just like it felt like that recruitment for whatever reason was the the recruitment that kind of bottomed it out a little bit. Am I am I wrong about that? No, that's the one that I because because they've been involved with five star guys, but I'm not sure that we've ever really felt as good as we felt about J.C. Latham ending up at Ohio State, and it didn't happen. And it, what, I can't remember. Like, was he like silently committed at one point? I can't. I can't recall yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. if he wasn't, it was certainly trending in that direction. Yeah. So it was like you know they were involved with a bunch of other five stars for sure, but that one felt the most real. And then when it didn't happen, it felt like that one hurt the most too. That's right. And then also the kicker of where he ended up. Right. I'm looking up to see how many snaps he played in the national championship. He only played one. <laughs> he, he played, did. He played 55 against Cincinnati because there was an injury. Oh. Um, but then he only played one. He came in, I think, for one snap because one of their guards got injured against Georgia. Oh, okay. Because I heard his name on the broadcast. Um, but I knew for sure he played a ton in the Cincinnati game because I was there. So yeah, I was uh, at a bar on Monday night enjoying company with my friends. It was a, it was a Georgia bar, by the way. Oh, nice. I bet they had a Super good time. Super fun. Yeah, everyone had a good time. Um, just, and Justin Fry, I think, is... I guess time will tell if he's an upgrade in terms of development. I think I think he probably can be. Um, I think he's actually done pretty good jobs at Boston College and UCLA. And UCLA had an awesome run game this year. That's maybe the thing I'm most excited about with this is, is what Justin Fry, who also has a title of associate head coach for offense, which is just the reason to you know throw another comment into the salary. Um, 
they had a really cool, diverse run game at UCLA, and I think Ohio State needs a little bit of that. And if Ryan Day will sort of let, let Justin Fry kind of put his fingerprint on the offense in that way, I think that will benefit Ohio State greatly. But the recruiting piece of it to me is interesting, Ari, and maybe you can provide some perspective on this. Like he's not had to recruit at this level before. And you can say the same thing about Jim Knowles coming from Oklahoma State. Like Justin Fry has been at Temple and Boston College. And people looked at, I guess, his recruiting track record and said, like, well, there's no good players here. Well, of, of course there's not because he was recruiting to, to Boston College and Temple and UCLA. But this is a, a step up, obviously. Like, what do you make of guys who have to kind of make that jump in terms of what's expected from them from a recruiting standpoint? I think that dynamic personalities or people who have um, a proven track record of doing well on the field are really good hires for assistants because you get automatic juice when you become a, an assistant at Ohio State. Like, you... you yeah. It's like playing at at a certain level, and then when you level up to the next level, you are competing against people on that level. But you also, you know, get some of that advantage of being in that level that you didn't have before. So, like to me, I think that head coaching hires are certainly more impactful when it comes to what level that that person was at before. That's why I don't always get so excited about group of five hires at power five powerhouses. Uh, because it's a completely different job, but you know, for USC, uh, you know, to take that as an example, Lincoln Riley getting hired at USC automatically legitimizes USC as a place that is going to attract talent at a high level. And it's like you probably couldn't tell me whether or not you CLA or, or I mean, sorry, U, USC's offensive line coach has any experience recruiting at that level because all that matters is the face of the program. And I think that matters a lot at Ohio State, especially when half the staff has already been doing it for, for multiple years. So the first thing I thought of when I saw the Fry hire bill was, holy crap, UCLA beat the crap out of LSU physically in the opener. Mm-hmm. And that was during a time when LSU had the majority <clears throat> of its team was healthy and, you know, it's week one, so people were fired up, and I was super impressed with the transformation of UCLA's offense. And honestly, I don't know how much Pac-12 after dark you watched this year, but I watched a ton of it. Said I want to pay my bookie on Mondays. And um, <laughs> UCLA was one of the more physical teams in that conference. And I don't even just mean the offensive line. I just mean in general. So, like, to me, that when you think of that, what do you think Ohio State's biggest deficiency was last year? It was patty cake. So yeah. if they can get people in there that can embody a tough, going to grind your bones into the turf you know, type of mentality, um, that to me I think is a positive. And as it pertains to can Jim Knowles recruit at a high level, I think the defensive coordinator uh, at Ohio State can walk into any living room in America and, and make a good sales pitch. So obviously there's more people who are – you know, do it better than others. Brian Hartline has certainly excelled in that position more so than others. Um, but collectively speaking, Ohio State has recruited at the level that it's recruited because of Ohio State. And I don't know that there's any, like, who do you think, if you took Brian Hartline out of the equation, are there any other assistants that have a reputation of being outstanding recruiters that you would be like, that's a head coach? Like, I think that, like, Brian Hartline is a head coach one day. And we'll mm-hmm. get into that news here in a minute. But, you know, which assistants on Ohio State staff, maybe Kerry Combs, are are known first and foremost for being dynamic recruiters. Yeah, probably Kerry and and Brian. Maybe Tony Alford too. Like I know Tony Alford got a lot of crap for the twenty twenty cycle, but but other than that, I think he's done an excellent job recruiting here and I think he's considered one of the better recruiters in the country. Um so maybe him him as well. But but you do make a good point and it's 
I think as long as you're engaged and and like into it and understand the importance of it, which I'm not so sure that Greg Sudrawa always did, I, I think it's pretty easy to recruit well to Ohio State. It's not not to say, you know, that you you don't have to have personality and you don't have to have the recruiting chops. I think you do to be to be among the very best, but I think simply simply being more into it and on top of it, um, which I think Justin Fry will be, will will, will provide better results for Ohio State in recruiting offensive linemen. Um, but and it's less this hire is less about that for me. Like as crazy as that might sound, like for as much crap as we gave Stu Drabo for for recruiting, and, and I think it was deserved, and it's obviously very important. I'm never going to tell somebody it's not. That the thing that is front of mind for me, which seems like it's front of mind for you too, is just like the the physicality that was lacking for Ohio state this year, I think needs to come back in a serious way. And that obviously starts with the way that your lines play. And, and I do think that Justin Fry seemed to get that out of his teams in Boston college seemed to get it out of his teams at, at, or his position groups, excuse me, at, at UCLA. And, and I, the other thing he does, which excites me too, is he, he also seems to embrace kind of the athleticism of offensive linemen and, and showcase that in, in a way that I'm not so sure Ohio state did or developed all that well under Greg Stoudrawa. So it, you know, we'll see what Ryan day, I guess, allows Justin Fry to do because it's still Ryan day's offense. And um, I'm not so sure how open Ryan day might be to new ideas, but the fact that he and, and Justin Fry both come from the chip Kelly tree, the fact that it does seem like Ryan days wanted to hire Justin Fry for, for quite some time. And it, and it just kind of worked out this time leads me to believe that that Fry will have a little bit more of a voice um, in in kind of shaping what this run game in particular looks like moving forward, so um, I think it's a good hire. I don't like. I feel like every time Ohio State hires somebody, everyone acts like it's the greatest hire ever. Um, I think it's a solid move for Ryan Day. I think it's an aggressive move for Ryan Day that like that had to be done. Um, and I would be encouraged if I'm an Ohio State fan that Ryan Day like kind of saw what was subpar play and subpar recruitment at the at a very important position. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Your whole thing with uh, assistant hires was always don't hire urban tree people anymore, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think of Ryan Day hiring Chip Kelly tree people? Um, I think I would just want my head coach to not fall into that cycle of only hiring the familiar. I, I don't. I don't think it's something you can't ever do. So, like, I don't want to say like I, I don't want him to just like automatically eliminate anyone he's ever had any kind of personal connection to. Cause clearly sometimes that works. So I think you judge it on case by case. Like if he went out and like got Chris Ash for a defensive coordinator and then did this into addition to it, I might feel differently about it. But the fact that he like went out and got Jim Knowles, who he has no ties to whatsoever. That was just like the best guy that he could go get to do a very important job for this team. 
that makes me, I guess, a little less critical in, in the familiarity sense of, of this hire. Um, and he's not an urban guy. I, like he GA'd for urban, but like I, I'm, I can say with complete confidence that urban probably has no idea who Justin Fry is. Um, so I don't think it's one of those hires. And I think it's okay to hire from the Kelly tree, especially for an offensive coaching position when Ryan Day's offensive philosophy is largely influenced by Chip Kelly. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you on that. How long until Brian Hartline's the head coach? We just need to have somebody to sit down and talk to him about what he desires in a real way. I think it's pretty clear what he desires. Like, I think he, I don't think he wants to leave Ohio State, but he was pursued. This like he's been pursued the last few off seasons. It sounds like Notre Dame like really made a push for him, which is going to get him paid more money from Ohio State and got him this. He has the title of passing game coordinator. I'm not sure how much that changes his function because I'm sure he was already very highly involved in that stuff anyway. But the title allows him to get more money. But I think. I think this is the kind of deal that, like, once you're in, you're in, especially when you're as good at it as Brian Hartline appears to be. So, like, even if he's not outright said, like, I want to be a head coach someday, I think he probably does. Um, now, whether that's I'm going to go run a G5 program in two years or I'm going to wait here as long as I have to wait to be the next coach at Ohio State, like, I don't know. <laughs> I think both those things are on the table for him. He's still a very young guy, um, and he's a Buckeye, which I think matters too. So, But I think he's – I, I, I just like I don't like I can't picture him going to be like the wide receivers coach at LSU. Like, or, yeah, I mean, me I guess either. like he would have to be the offensive coordinator at LSU, right? Like, does he want to be a head coach in college football one day? It's like I just cannot envision. And like I know Brian Hartline, but I don't know him intimately well. Yeah, me neither. I don't know that he would want to be the head coach at Miami, Ohio. Right. I agree. I don't think so either. He's got too much money already to put himself through that. Like he's probably at the in the phase of life now where he just wants to enjoy himself. And honestly, I don't want to be offensive because there's a lot of people from Ohio on this call and or on this uh, podcast. And being the head coach of a MAC team would just be awful. I think. Now I know I know that um, being the head coach of a college football program is probably in the top fraction of a percent of jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly falls under it. But, like, I just have a hard time with the Mac because I don't know how those universities distinguish themselves. And I think that Miami of Ohio is probably a terrible example because I think o- OU and Miami have, you know, beautiful campuses and, and certainly kind of bring something to the table. But, like, when you start talking about, like, Kent and uh, Central Michigan and Akron and all these teams, it's just like they're all recruiting the same areas. They're all in the same geographical footprint. They're just all the same, which is why I think that, like, everybody's 5-5 five and five every year. Because, like, they're all the same team. It's just like being a head coach, and it'd be so hard to distinguish yourself there, don't you think? Um, I don't know if I agree. I, I feel like... It's like every the, game goes to 77 points, and you never know who's going to win. And it's just like Northern Illinois and Akron and Kent State and Central Michigan and Eastern Michigan. It's just like, what is the distinguishing factor of, like, why a two-star prospect would go from one of those places instead of the other? Just like trying to like wrap my mind around that just like drives me insane, and I feel like that'd be just such a hard thing to do. Yeah, I I think I don't know the the Mac seems like fairly upwardly mobile to me. Like we've seen different programs take turns at the top of that conference over the last decade. Like I know because they're all the same, right? But that's what what I'm saying is like if you're if you're smart about it, like with the exception of Kent and Akron, 
I think if you're smart about it, that you can probably go just about anywhere else in the Mac and only have to be there for two or three years and win enough games. But, like to you get a and Sean Lewis, is, I mean, Sean Lewis is a is a head coaching candidate to a certain extent, right? Like people like his, his up tempo offense, and like didn't Kent win nine games last year? Like they, I mean, Kent has a really. I think I would. I think you can make a case that watching Kent was the apex of watching Matchin this year because of their offensive philosophy, and that's how they differentiated themselves. I just mm-hmm. mean like from a recruiting standpoint more than anything, like trying to recruit the Midwest and which guy is going to find the six foot six, two star offensive tackle that is going to turn out to be really good. And like, who Mm -hmm. and they all offer the same kids. Like, it's always like, who are your offers? Every team in the Mac. And then, yeah, once one offers, they all come along. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I actually wrote about that in the mailbag on Tuesday, the recruiting mailbag. It's just like somebody asked, how much harder is it to be a group of five head coach now in the world of the transfer portal? It's like, you know how hard it is to recruit to a group of five team? Like half the, half the group of five teams don't even have their recruiting classes on the internet because they don't have recruiting profiles. And I don't <laughs> think people realize like the minutia that goes into like not only identifying these kids, but then recruiting them and then trying to di- differentiate yourself from the nine other teams that are in your same conference in the same state, basically. How much of the MAC is in Ohio? Like half of it? Yeah, I think so. No, I think I think I think it's a path that you would like to avoid if you can. And I think Yeah, and Brian, I don't, and, I don't, and I, I, I I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I I know that like whenever you start talking about the Mac, some people might get offended. And I'm not trying to I'm not saying that going to the Mac isn't a career choice that you could make to become a head coach at a bigger program. I mean, Urban coached at Bowling Green. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for somebody in Brian Hartline's position, it just seems like a headache I wouldn't want if I were set up in life the way that he were. Yeah, and I also think that his profile is such that that he could probably jump it, reach a little higher than that for whatever his first head coaching job might be. Yeah, but I do think I do think he's on that path for sure. I don't think he's going to be the receivers coach at Ohio State forever. I know, but like, um, what do you think the next like the next job would be? Like the head coach of Mizzou. Like yeah. like a job like that? No, like, I think I, he'd probably want to stay regional. If if he if if he were to take one sooner rather than later, like something regional, um, something in the in the Big Ten, perhaps something, um, you like know, Illinois. Like, no, I think I, I think he would be very particular because he can. Um, I know, but I don't think Brian Hartline's like the candidate for Penn State yet. No, 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 not yet. I'm not, I'm not talking. Like, what are we talking yeah, yeah. about here? We're talking about Purdue, Indiana. Illinois. I think if you want to go be a head coach tomorrow, you would have to probably, yeah, go to a lower level G5 program. Like, I don't think Penn State would, hire, like, clearly Penn State would not hire him tomorrow if, like, James Franklin got abducted by aliens. Um, but I think in a couple of years, if he continues on this path, if he gets more, the thing, the thing that's funny about these titles is, like, I think it's probably likely that Brian Hartline's influence in the offense is probably not going to be any greater than it was this past year. And I think he does have a good influence on the offense, but he will get more credit for it because there's a coordinator next to his name. Um, So like when CJ Stroud throws for 5,000 yards next year, and Brian Hartline has a title of passing game coordinator, like he's going to get a little juice off that. Dude, the whole like climbing up the corporate ladder of coaches and the bullshit that goes into it is so exhausting to even think about. 
Yeah. Of just like, what more can Brian Hartline prove when he is the receivers coach at the place that has 10 top 100 players on it? He's going to have two first round draft picks this year and then just set a Rose Bowl and team record without their two best players. Just like, how many more years of Brian Hartline coaching the receivers do you need? I was like, okay, so now he needs like to harness some of CJ Stroud's stats to prove himself, even though it's already been proven. It's just like so exhausting. Yeah, but it makes me think that now that he has this title, now he's going to get his raise to, to whatever it is. It'll, honestly, it'll probably be close to a million dollars, if I had to guess. Um, I think he's set here until someone comes along with a head coaching job that entices him. Or I guess I wouldn't be shocked if like, if the NFL came calling what he might, what he might or how he might react to that. I'm not saying NFL head coach, but if an NFL receivers coach position or an NFL, I don't even know. I don't think he get hired as an OC to go to go to the NFL, but um, something like that, I guess, could be enticing. But I think I think this this keeps Brian Hartline in Columbus um, until that head coaching opportunity that he can't pass up comes along. And I don't I don't really know what that looks like. I don't think it's just any old head coaching job, but I do think that that is in his future for sure. Would you rather be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State or the head coach of Purdue? Uh, I guess the head coach of Purdue probably the head coach at Purdue because you're going to get a lot of money, yeah, twenty five million dollar guarantee contract whether you suck or not. Just don't break any rules. You're getting all that money, so yeah, I think I'd rather be the head coach yeah, at Purdue. I mean, I mean, like for quality of life purposes, though. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Brom makes like six million dollars a year <laughs> to coach. Purdue. I know this is one of the years where he's like one of the best coaches in college football, and then next year he's stealing money again. The, yeah, the Jeff the Brom every other year fluctuation of how we view him is hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is rather funny. Um, he did not threaten to leave and go anywhere else this offseason, though. So I guess he's not going to get a raise this year. He absolutely should have. Yeah, every coach should, because these universities are going to pay you. Mel Tucker got nine and a half million dollars. Say say the full number, please. Nine point five million dollars. No, I want the whole number from the entire contract. Is it, what was it, 95 million? $95 million! Over 10 years. And he'll get all that. Most likely. Unless he leaves to go somewhere else, I guess. He's got, a, he's got a small buyout. Yeah, but if he goes somewhere else, it's going to be because he's going to get offered more money from that school. Yeah. <laughs> so. or the, I think he's probably going to end up in the NFL, if we're being honest. Yeah, I could see that. Michigan State head coach Brian Hartline. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. That's the other thing I wonder with these guys, too. It's like, do you want to go coach against Ohio State? I don't know if I'd want to do that. You know what I could see is if if, if uh, Fickle left, like Cincinnati seems like kind of a cool job for, for Heartline. Yeah, but if Fickle left, it would be like to come here because Ryan Day is going to the NFL. Yeah, or Michigan. Ryan Day is going to Michigan. <laughs> no, no, no. Fickle's going to Michigan. Fickle's going to Michigan. Nobody yeah, could see the smile that I gave you, so I just wanted everyone to know that I smiled. But, like, can you imagine? Yeah. The head coach of Cincinnati is Brian Hartline, and the head coach at Michigan is, is Luke Fickle. Yeah. I'm sure the message boards would handle that very well. Yeah. <laughs> well, they handle everything well. Yeah, yeah, with rational uh, rationality for sure. No, but I think like Cincinnati. I think like if that opened for whatever reason, I think I think Cincinnati would should want to hire Brian Hartline, and I think that would be a job that Brian Hartline would be good at. Um, but I also think he's if Brian Hartline is like the receivers coach slash passing game coordinator at Ohio State for like the next five years, and then he's the next head coach at Ohio State. Like I also think that's on the table. Yep. 
So I think it was good on Ohio State to shell out the money that it's going to shell out, give him this title, fight off Notre Dame, and keep him. Because, um, you know, I think I think some assistants are certainly replaceable. I think there's a, there's a select few who I would consider in that kind of irreplaceable conversation, but I think he's one of them. So whatever you need to do to keep that guy around, good, good on Ohio State for doing it. I also think, too, that, like, Brian Hartline is the all-time leader of um, consecutive years of fan obsession. Because usually that fluctuates, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, people, like, love Luke Fickle now, but I'm old enough to be covering the team and people want him fired every week. And, like, everybody is... F- universally in love with Brian Hartline and universally terrified that he's going to leave for going on now four years, mm-hmm. which is like probably the longest consecutive streak of all time for any assistant. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm trying people, to think of what other assistants like have like even people were wanted carry Combs head on a platter last, last month. It's yep. like, he was the most beloved coach of all time for, for a certain, you know, few months. Everybody passed around the, the locker room fire-up videos. We, I mean, we all remember what, what Kerry Combs was in 2014. Now those now they want him out, and they want him gone. Yeah, he's Brian Hartline's had a pretty yeah pretty consistent string here of, of good vibes from the fan base. It's I crazy how that happens, too. Borderline when you unrivaled. Yeah. Sign three five-stars at your position every every class. It's pretty easy to, to maintain that. Yeah, because, now he's going to start having the first-round draft picks <laughs> to come along with it. Yeah. He's going to have at least one, probably two this year. One the year. Is it not guaranteed that they're Virginia. both first picks? I I would be surprised if they weren't both first round picks. Yeah. You think Garrett's going to go off first? I do. Yeah. Especially now, like I'm, I, I mean, it, it gutted me to see Jamison Williams get hurt in that national championship game. Yeah, that sucked. However long that lingers, how that might impact his draft status. Like there were some mock drafts that it was funny. There were some mock drafts, a lot of mock drafts that have Jamison Williams ahead of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, um, even though he transferred because he couldn't play ahead of either of them at Ohio State. Um, but now, like that kind of knee injury, I don't know. He doesn't have a history of stuff like that, so maybe it won't it won't impact his draft status too much. But I think I I could see that setting up a situation where Garrett Wilson might be the first receiver taken in the draft, like borderline top ten, top twelve kind of deal. Yeah. Um, not that he has, like, I think he should be, I think he's, I have everyone I know back in Philly is, is asking me now, like, cause the Eagles, I think pick like 15th is their first pick. Like, is Garrett Wilson going to be there? It's like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> Chris Olave might, but I don't know if you want Chris Olave and Devonte Smith. Go birds. Go birds. They're going to beat the Bucks this weekend. You heard it here first. Tom Brady in the dumpster. Go birds. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna let you finish. <laughs> it's like I'm not saying anything until you say go birds. Yeah. Uh, three. Well, one major I think player addition in the last week. Tanner McAllister, safety from Oklahoma State. Uh, a, a guy that I actually talked to the other day and put a Q and A up on the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/four-dash-six. You can sign up. Go read that Q and A if you want to. Like really mature. And not that you would expect anything otherwise. He's he's been in college for four years. He'll be a graduate transfer at Ohio State. Um, was a multi-year starter under Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State. And while like I think he's he's a pro, and I think if he would have gone pro this year, he would have gotten drafted. Like I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's a pretty solid player. And more importantly, I think he's someone that that Ohio State will benefit from, whose presence Ohio State will benefit from, because he knows this defense, and I do think it's a rather complex defense, especially for the guys on the back end. So I think that the double dose of of getting an experienced guy to play at a position, which is like a slot corner spot after Lathan Ransom's injury, um, in addition to getting someone who knows this defense, um, will be pretty beneficial 
to, to Ohio State this, this offseason. Um, and then two recruiting things just quickly to touch on before we talk about the national title game. Um, Omar, or excuse me, not Omar Abor, Hero Canoe and Carson Hinsman committed to Ohio they State. They went three for three at the yeah, end. We, we got, we, I think, I couldn't remember if we talked about Omari on the last show, but yeah, Omari Abor on the second, Hinsman in between, and then Hero Canoe on the eighth. So, like, great finish for Larry Johnson. And I think a strong, strong finish for Ohio State to get, like, the three top guys remaining on its board well in advance of signing day. Still got to sign Omari Abor. He's not signed. Uh, Hero and Carson Hinsman are signed, but, but Omari Abor is not signed and apparently going to take visits. So, that one's not done just yet. But if you wanted to get, you know, some good, uh, some good vibes of Ohio State's recruiting class here in 2022, even if it's not, you know, a top three class, I think hitting all three of those guys is, is a pretty good way to finish it out. Yep, I agree. Uh, especially a, a team that could use some new blood on the defensive line, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, – I looked up the average player rating for all of Larry Johnson's classes since he got here in 2014. The best was last year's with Jack Sawyer, JT, Tuimolowau, Mike Hall, and Tyleek Williams. Uh, and this class with – as long as he signed Abor, Amari Abor, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry – and Hero Canoe is second. So pretty good considering some of the guys Larry Johnson's brought in here. Yep. So and they like better than the the Chase Young group, better than the the twenty eighteen group that had I think three top hundred players, three or four top hundred players in it. Um pretty good. Pretty good and and like addresses major needs, I think, for them too. And also a group of guys that I think kind of fits together well positionally and in terms of, of in terms of skill sets. So as long as they sign Abor, and honestly I think even if they don't sign Abor, it's not like the sky is falling. But obviously, if you do sign Abor and get all four of those guys, that's that's one of Larry Johnson's better recruiting jobs. So yep. not not bad for a guy who's supposedly on the brink of retirement. He's you you want to get the top fifty defensive end from Dallas? I mean, that would that would sting if they somehow lost him at the end there. Yeah, no, it would sting. It would sting. But like to get top fifty defensive end from Dallas, top eighty defensive end from Florida, you know, a similarly ranked kind of versatile guy like Caden Curry, who's basically in your backyard in Indiana. And then to get Hero Canoe, who was a national recruit, doesn't really have regional ties anywhere, got a late push from USC, and you kind of held him off. Like, I think I think all four of those are, are job well done for Larry Johnson in this cycle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I don't know if you want to wait till February to kind of wrap up their their class, but they are, uh, you know, firmly the fourth best class, right? So um, fourth overall, third in average player rating. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an elite level class. I agree. I agree. Left something I think to be desired on the offensive line, but otherwise, I think I think they did a pretty solid job with this class. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, national championship. Uh, Georgia beats Alabama thirty three eighteen, and. We can talk about whatever you want, I guess, for, as it pertains to the game, Ari. But the one, the one thing that like really resonated with me, and maybe goes back to what we were talking about, like with Justin, Fry, the Justin Fry hire, was like the speed and the physicality that both those teams were playing with in that national title game. Just looked like something that like 
Ohio State like really need, <laughs> needs to start working toward on both sides of the ball because like those dude they were they were hitting hitting as as they like to say like that was that did not look like a fun game to play in. I, uh, I want to be positive. Can I? I'm going to be positive. No, I think you can be positive, but I, I also think it's fair to to hold Ohio State up and compare it to what we just saw in the national title game. Because what did Ohio State? When's the last time Ohio State played a game that ferociously? Um, probably last year against Clemson. Yeah, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, they were flying around in that game. The question that has to be asked here is: Is there going? Is there? There's so much athleticism on the field in the national championship game. So I'm not trying to, but is the question of is Ohio State a finesse team, and do they need to get back to their roots of being able to kick the shit out of somebody like the most glaring weakness in this program right now? That's kind of how I felt. Yeah, I think it's fair. Like it's when you when you lean as heavily towards the pass as Ohio State does, I think it's hard to not be a, a finesse offensive team by default. But I don't think you can let that permeate your entire program, and it certainly felt like it did, right? Because you don't have to be finesse on defense, even if you if you lean that way a little more on offense. And also, you don't have to be finesse when you throw the ball either. But I do think there's there's way too much of that in the program right now, and and it was really underscored for me watching Georgia and Alabama just like. And also the, those like Will Anderson's on one team, Jordan yeah. Davis is on the other. Like they have like I mean. There are physical marvels. There are physical marvels. Would you say that Georgia's defense is the nastiest defense of our generation? Yeah, them or the, what was that, the 2012 Alabama defense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That was, and that was actually kind of, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it's like the thing we talked about all year, Georgia's defense, Georgia's defense, Georgia's defense, like, Whatever you want to say about them in the SEC title game, like they showed up in the, in the national championship and looked like what we thought they were. Would you would you say that Georgia is an SEC champion this year? Uh, no, they lost the game. I know also it's just like champion. funny to me. Like you're not you're not the SEC champion because you lost to Bama, and then you beat them in the national championship. It's like such a weird thing about the sport that I just can't it's very it's of. very yeah. odd yeah I, I I'm fully in favor of eliminating conference championship games and just making that weekend the first weekend of the playoff um, and then just giving the conference championship to whoever finishes with the best record in the regular season but I guess that's difficult when there's unbalanced schedules and you don't play everyone in your league I don't know but conference championship games are weird I mean I guess it's possible too for the non-division winner in the NFL to beat the division winner in the playoff and then in the playoffs and then win the Super Bowl like the Eagles are going to do this year. Yeah. Yeah. Go Birds. That's right. Go Birds. Yeah. I've got a futures bet that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I am uh I do a thing every year with a buddy of mine back home where we we you pick a fantasy team based off the playoff teams that are available and you get multipliers like if that guy sticks around for each round so like it benefits you to pick a guy who might not be playing this week if you think they're going to go that far and we're trying to decide how we think the Cowboys are going to do in the NFC. It pains a couple of Eagles fans to to project the Cowboys out to win the Super Bowl but Think we might be on that train they, as well. They actually might be able to do it this year. Yeah. And this yeah. is the Cowboys podcast. That's right. Welcome back to Cowboys Talk, where we talk about Ezekiel Elliott and Jerry Jones. <laughs> I, I uh, The thing that I can't stop thinking about, Bill, as it pertains to the national championship game, is that this was Alabama's second worst team of the Saban era. Yeah. 
Behind the one that lost Ohio State? Yes. Yeah. And this is, they were winning in the fourth quarter of the national championship game. Yeah. They're very it's just, good. It's insanity. <laughs> They're really good. Yeah. Um, but also, it's cool that, you know, I know Georgia has been recruiting at this level for four years now, and it seems like they've been in the Cool Kids Club for a while. But it is cool to see a new team win. I agree 100%. Even if it is Georgia, who has a million five-stars on this roster. Yeah. I think it's... I'm not going to play the underdog underdog bullshit, but, like, they... It's a new team that hasn't won a championship in 30 years, 40 years. No, I think it's great. So, you know, I'm very curious to see. I mean, I think that we're in a very interesting intersection of of the sport right now, of, of Alabama's reign... Uh, what this means for Georgia as they just signed another elite level class. Where does Ohio State fit into that category? What's Clemson going to do? Is USC going to join forces? Like, there's a lot of a lot of um, interesting storylines program wide of of just like, you know, I'd pitch I'd pitch a story right now maybe and maybe I should of like writing a story based on who the best like, you know, Stuart Mandel did his way too early top twenty five. Mm-hmm. I want to do like an annual program rankings. Yeah. Well, that isn't just about national championship, but like, where's your program rank? And like, nobody does that. And I think that I don't know where I would put Ohio state on that list, like four or five, maybe right now. I mean, no, certainly no worse than fifth. Yeah. But I would probably have them probably four. I think I'd have them third, because I wouldn't put for for as good as A and M's recruiting class is right now. I wouldn't put A and M as a program ahead of Ohio State. No, I wouldn't either. So what, so number one would be Bama, right? Mm-hmm. Then two, do you have to put as the most recent champion who's recruiting at a high level would be Georgia? Yeah. Then I think three is a two way discussion between Clemson and Ohio State, right? Yeah, and I think I would because because it, it's like. It's such a small sample size sport that, like, even though Dabo's got two rings, I don't know how much that would come into my thinking because, like, his last title was three years ago. So, I guess maybe you want to give he's shown an ability to get to the mountaintop and win it. So, if you want to use that to give him the edge and put them third, I, I don't think I'd argue that too much, but I still think I'd put Ohio State third. They both had very similar seasons. They manifested differently, but they were yeah. And the last time they played each other, like Ohio State, and Ohio State kicked the shit out of them, but. Yeah. I think national champion, like if you were going to do the rankings, you would have to, you would have to do like a point system so that you were consistent of just like how much does yes. national championships. Cause if national championships matter, like Clemson won it in 16 and 18 and Ohio state hasn't won one since 14. And I think that has to matter. Yeah. If you take like a five year, four or five year snapshot and you know, Give give points to certain things, national championships, recruiting rankings, first round probably, draft picks, probably NFL draft picks to try to yeah. quantify development. Yeah, um, that'd be fascinating. I, I don't I don't think there'd be much. The first thing I do when we're done with this podcast is I'm going to pitch that. Yeah, I don't think there'd be much mystery about the top, but I think it'd be fascinating to see that. You know, probably probably from like four Which, down. What would you? How long out would you go? Fifteen. You mean how many teams? How many? Yeah, like how would you go top twenty-five? Yeah, I think I do twenty-five. Yeah, probably we're probably describing something that would be a major undertaking that we're. Yeah, I'm just not, trying to think about how much work this is going to be. 
Yeah, I can help you with it if you want. Yeah, you want to do a double byline? You know I love researching shit. Um, I'll get you and Mitch to research it, and I'll just write all the blurbs. How's that? Yeah, but I think it would be. I think like what you're going to be on the field next year is obviously important. And Stu has Ohio State second, which I actually was kind of surprised to see. He also has Utah fourth, so you know, <laughs> shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but program stability and where you are, I think, is probably even more interesting because yeah, at least at least to me, maybe me and you, it'd probably be more um, fun just to do it subjectively without being ruled to a point system because then. You can just kind of do it based on feel, and then you also wouldn't have to bog yourself down with 25 hours of research. Yeah, you could maybe do some kind of weighted thing, too, where you you do have the sort of empirical data, but then you also allow some room for subjectivity. Or, excuse me, objectivity. No, subjectivity, yeah, right? Subjectivity. 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 There's so, no objectivity in, in my writing. To work go Bucks. Yeah, go yeah. Bucks. That's right. Um, that'd be good. I hope everyone enjoyed us talking out a story idea on the podcast. Yeah, that's um, that, by the way, that's uh, every single road trip Bill and I ever went on. Yeah, I miss those. Mix, mixed in with talking shit about other people. <laughs> and deciding where our next meal is going to be immediately after we read the previous one. Um, <laughs> miss you, bud. What's next? Yeah. What's next? Um, like, last thing from the national title game, and maybe this is a stupid question, but I don't. I don't think Bryce Young played particularly well in the playoff game or the national championship game. And like, he's the reigning Heisman trophy winner and he's back next year. But like, I did find myself thinking about CJ Stroud a little bit as I was watching that game. And the question that you asked me, I think maybe in the last episodes, like is Ohio State going to have the best returning quarterback in college football next year. And I think I hesitated because Bryce Young has the stiff arm trophy. Like, I don't know. Did your thinking change at all on that based off how he played in those two games? And how CJ played in the Rose Bowl and how he played. I mean, I think in fairness, two things. Brian Robinson's a stud, and I don't think he got enough credit this year. Yep. But, like, all of his offensive weapons were out. I mean, they still, like, Jamison Williams. I I didn't watch the game and think that Bryce Young played poorly. Oh, I did. You did? Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he sucked. I don't think he played great. I don't think he played great against Cincinnati. I think he is. I think he is bothered by pressure, but he's so kind of slippery, slippery that if he can get away from it, like he did when Georgia beat or lost to them the first time, and he can like sort of reset himself and he's allowed to make plays out on the edge, like he's super dangerous. But if you can get to him, I don't know mm-hmm. if he handles it all that well. Um, and it felt like he wasn't seeing things great against Georgia, and I get it. Like there's a there's a comfort level that's missing sorely once Jamison Williams was out of that game. But it's not like Jamison Williams was out of that game, and then oh, and Alabama didn't have anybody else put in there. Like they put in AJ Hall, who's like a top 100 recruit. Um, I think Jacory Brooks was was as well, wasn't he? It's like they're hurting for yeah. receiver talent. And it was funny the second that Jamison Williams came out of the game, they like popped a 65 yard gain over the tight end. It's just like this team will just, yeah, this will this team die? Yeah, yeah right. like, Alabama's not lacking for dudes. Um, or at least they shouldn't be. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to do the thing where I think like Bryce Young is all of a sudden terrible. But I think that conversation about who is the best returning quarterback in college football is is a little more interesting to me after watching kind of how those two guys played in the latter half of the season. I don't know if it is for you or not, but I, I found myself. I think it's gonna. CJ. I think. I think it's gonna like. I think everything is with context, and like Bryce Young played the best defense in maybe the yep. last 10 years and Ohio state shredded a Utah team that couldn't stay within 10 yards of the receivers. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like certainly like 
how about this? I think CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and maybe a few other people are going to be in the conversation as the biggest offseason stars. And like when July comes around, like CJ Stroud's going to be on the cover of magazines. And I don't know if I could definitively say that I think he's better than Bryce Young right now, but the fact that he's in that discussion is all Ohio State needs to know about. And like I do mm-hmm. think that like by the time we're doing this podcast in August or you know September, that we will be having legitimately uh, serious discussions about whether or not Ohio State's got the best receiver, quarterback, and running back in college football. And I know that there's going to be a lot of things to um, to discuss and other players that are coming back. Like I mean, I don't even like know. I haven't gone into NFL draft mode yet. And I'm sure you probably are already there, but it's like, is B. John Robinson coming back next year? Like, what's his year? I forget. Yeah, he was class 2020, so he's got one more year left. So he's got one more year left. So, like, there's guys like that that are coming back. But, like, the combination of Trey Henderson, C.J. Stroud, and Jackson Smith and the Jigba is, like, nasty as hell. And, like, Ohio State with Marvin Harris, like, they should be really, really good next year offensively. Um, defensively, they were a joke this year, and I'm very curious to see if their new $2 million coordinator can fix that. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, looking in there, I'm, I'm actually uh, – I stopped in the middle of writing my first depth chart projection for next year to record this podcast, and I'm going to get back to writing that when we're done, and that should be up on The Athletic sometime on Wednesday, theathletic.com slash 4-6 if you're not signed up. It's – it's I mean, it's called a projection, so obviously, obviously it's a lot of projection. We're still waiting on a few key NFL draft decisions for Ohio State, but I wanted to try to project that out a little bit um, for the first time, and I'll do it probably five or six more times before the season starts and we get in the spring ball and get, get more eyeballs on things. Um, but look for that as we kind of shift here from the end of the 2021 season, full bore into the 2022 season. Um, Ohio State will still be good, so you have that to, uh, to look forward to. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.